stop and think Why spend too much time just getting ready Let me be honest I don't know one single thing That I haven't done to make you notice me Let me be real here When I see you my heart starts racing But I don't know if I like this Live from the Cardome Studio in Georgetown, Kentucky Today is May 7th, 2021, Friday of the fifth week in Easter, and this is Deacon's Discussions Drinks. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Triple D, live from the Cardome Studio in Georgetown for what we know will be another exciting discussion. I'm Deacon Tim Stout. I'm Deacon Dallas Kelly. I'm Father Lynn Wynn. And if you're joining us on li- live on Facebook or watching later on YouTube, the most important thing you can do is hit the like button, subscribe, and the little bell depends on what you're watching on is what you get so help us uh help us know who's watching and and let us know and if you're listening on the podcast app of choice your choice hit the like or subscribe button and better yet leave a review so now that i've got the social media stuff out of the way tonight's guest with us is father david wheeler welcome to the show Father David. Hey, so let's do a let's do a little intro just so we can get that out of the way, and then we'll talk about current events. Is that okay with everybody? Solid okay. Solid. All right. So Father David Wheeler was ordained to the priesthood in June of 2019. Do I have that correct? That's right. Yep. So you're getting ready to go for two years. Two year anniversary is coming up here in the Diocese of Lexington. Father Wheeler grew up in Clay County. We'll talk about famous people maybe from Clay County a little bit later on. <laughs> I can only think of one, Richie Farmer. <laughs> and you were a parishioner at St. Ann Mission, which is a part of St. Williams in London. And you have six siblings, and you were homeschooled through through high school which we can talk about that as well. That should be a good discussion. And after working for a few years in construction and farming, you entered the seminary for the Diocese of Lexington. You received a BA in philosophy and humanities. I didn't get catch where that was from, though. The Josephinum. The Josephinum. I gotcha. Okay. And then you got to go to Rome, to the Pontifical North American College in Rome, where you you received a Bachelor of Sacred Theology from the Pontifical Gregorian University and a Sacred Theological License in Moral Theology from the Angelicum. After ordination, you served three months at uh, St. Andrews in Harrodsburg, and you are now assigned to the cathedral, which is everybody's favorite place to go, as parochial vicar. That's right. How's that for introductions? That suits me. Just be prepared, Father David. You know why they call the cathedral? Do tell. They're known as the priest killer. <laughs> Just don't let you know that. You're, suppo- you're supposed to put your hand up and be like, the priest killer. The priest killer. Well, we want him to do that anyway because he has a tendency to talk back like this. So, hey, a lot going on in the world today. Um, you know, we, we want everybody to bring a current event. And my, my current event is – the, the not the bishop. We were talking about that before we went online. The governor has uh, told us we could go to seventy five percent at the end of uh, May, and how does that affect us at St. John's? Deacon Dallas have an answer for that? Not, not at all. Oh, don't. No, no, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's the answer. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. So, I was kind of bummed out about that. I was I was hoping that. And I think a lot of pray people were putting pressure on, on the governor, which he obviously repelled, uh, to open up the state because places like uh, 
Colorado and Florida. Florida, well, Florida's Texas have been open, but uh, and New York City has announced an open date, and we were just hoping we were going to get an open date, but we didn't get one. He want two point five million vaccinated. Damn it! What are we got? We got one point eight. Yeah, we're never going to get to 2.5. <laughs> or it's not going to happen. I mean, I'm, and I and I mean that with all the getting double vaccinated to drive up the number. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yo, you have people do it again. Let's pull that. What ha- what happens if you get double vaccinated, I wonder? I mean, if it keeps getting worse and worse from the first shot to the second shot to the third to the fourth, people will probably die. <laughs> that's At true. least by reputation. <laughs> that's that's true. So I, that's a good that's a good thought. I hadn't thought of that. But, you know, he's a smart guy. He's got a lot of smart people working for him. And I'm pretty sure that when they came up with $2.5 million, they all sat around the table kind of about this size, and they said, how long is it going to take us to get to 2.5? And one guy, the guy telling the truth at the end of the table probably said, we ain't getting to 2.5. <laughs> so that's the goal. We, we, we call that stretch go in manufacturing. We'll see if we can stretch people beyond what the capabilities are. So – that's my current event. Anybody got a Dallas? You got a current event? You got a good Catholic? My, current event? No, this ain't Catholic. Got nothing to do with it. But it, I will get to something about it. But um, let's see. Uh, commodity watchers took note of a milestone when one thousand board feet of lumber passed fifteen hundred dollars in April for the first time in history. The price was around two hundred dollars. For that same amount in May, will that affect our building prices when we build? <laughs> Only I mean, because that's times. like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're that's like four, five, six, seven times more, you know. Yeah. And unfortunately, steel is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, we just we supply product to steel mills, uh, limestone, and we were talking about that today. And we actually we believe what what our economists that we work with are telling us is that the steel price is actually going to come down before the lumber price. Oh yeah, and and the reason the reason being it's the difference between supply chain and supply and demand. So lumber is is so expensive because everybody was at home doing projects. Yep. They were building decks. They were doing add-ons. They were doing redoing all kinds of stuff, and the supply went down. At the same time, there's a pandemic going on with the steel mill. Steel mills they shut down back when the pandemic started because all the like the car plants and stuff. They said, "Hey, we're not going to make any cars because we don't know what's going to happen." They shut everything down, and then the demand for cars and stuff went up. Appliances went up. Everything that uses steel went up, and you just don't turn a steel mill back on <laughs> and start up and start producing. So that's that's why, and I'm going to say it's not going to affect our price. It is. Yeah. Well, you going to pitch in? <laughs> you going to take out a second mortgage? I'm just saying. I don't think the steel. I think the steel prices are going to correct relatively quickly. So, and there's not going to be a whole lot of wood in that structure. That's my two cents. I, I, I'd bet with the inflation as well, though. How much money we're pumping into the economy? Yeah. With nothing to back it up. Yeah, the Here's some money. Like just like the 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 nominal price is going to keep going up. Yeah, the the government keeps telling us that they're not worried about inflation. Yeah, but then uh then you have comments like from the treasury secretary about like we need to raise interest rates to quote cool down the economy. It's not inflation, it's it's overheating, whatever that means. 
That's a that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure inflation's happening. I mean, do you know anything that you go to buy today that's the same price that it was a year ago? And if it ain't happening, it will eventually will. It takes a while for it to yeah. catch up. So you just can't keep throwing money out there with nothing to back it up. And now they're talking about up to $4 trillion with upcoming projects. Infrastructure. Infrastructure. That's only 5% infrastructure. <laughs> that's why we put all the money at the cathedral into Bitcoin. There you go. There you go. Just kidding. We haven't. <laughs> Bitcoin. And you never know when that will tank, you know. Another another CEO of a investment bank said just this week, all those people that have put all their money into uh, cryptocurrency, be prepared for it to go to zero. He joins a long list of people that have been wrong so far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he also has invested interest in it, not continuing to rise. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I I I, I like I Bitcoin. Invested interest is pretty. Uh, Intense for an investment banker, isn't it? Absolutely. You got a current event? Oh, yes, I do. Something quite nice, actually. Uh, a shout-out for Gene Spark. She celebrated ninety birthday today. Yes. Happy birthday, Gene. And so, Gene's a long-time listener. Yeah, she had Gene been Sparks. locked down for COVID and multiple sickness, and today was perfect. I went to her place, drove her car, she in it, and we went. To get some pho. P-H-O. P-H-O. Where do you go to get the pho? Uh, pho Saigon is on uh, uh, Circle Road. was wonderful. So we have a day. We went out to celebrate her birthday. Simple. And she was out. Had a great time. That's a perfect current event. That is a good, go. good, good. good current event. Especially when somebody's been locked down for a long time. Oh, yeah. And she still made it to 90. Make it to 90. <laughs> Hung out with Father Lynn and still made it to 90. <laughs> but one thing is amazing. She's so appreciative, not because I'm there, of her life. You know, she got hit by a semi-truck, and she uh, got hit by a car and all kind of sickness. He went through today. She was so alive, and she's so appraising God. And then she commented how, how often we, we as a society just forget about how blessed we are. And that was beautiful conversation driving to and from a restaurant. It's a great. They have a great time. So, you, know so you must have never have anointed her before, right? <laughs> no, it would not touch her at all. He had an ongoing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is good. If he was anointing you for any sickness or anything. You're done. <laughs> <laughs> you were done. Make sure you have all your paperwork in mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was just that healing interior. People were so much at peace; they were ready to ready, ready take to go. Now. You know, it, it is interesting to see the perspective from people that you know. When we look at what's the pandemic's done to them, we've talked about my mom before, and it's the same thing. You know, Jean talking about how blessed she is. My mom in a nursing home for eighteen months now, and I'm there, her only visitor, and she just every time I talk to her, she talks about how blessed she is. It's just sometimes hard to oh yeah hard to grasp that. So, Father Wheeler, you have a current event, or would you like us to start the interrogation? What's behind <laughs> Hook him up to the lie detector test. What's behind the third door? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's going on at the cathedral? Why don't we just start there? That's current event. So, Well, today we had our uh, inaugural version of uh, First Friday devotion. So uh, Father, uh, Father Damien 
uh, decided to start that. He's he's getting ready to become the pastor at Sacred Heart. So uh, First Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart seemed uh, both pretty appropriate, and uh, I think it'll be a good thing for the cathedral. We had a uh, we had a fair number of people stay after mass uh, today for it, so that was that was very nice. Um, well, I did see some Father Mark. I think is was talking on Facebook about a First Friday devotion somewhere close to him. So is that something that's Popular, not popular in the diocese. Two priests, about two priests here. What's your all thoughts on that? Um, I think I think we're kind of seeing a an, a, a greater appreciation for the devotional life of the church um, in general. Um, kind of people realizing that it's not it's not just enough to kind of believe a list of things. We kind of need to live it. We need the common experience of praying together and uh, sharing that faith in in an environment. Um, like the church, so I think uh, I think we are seeing kind of a, a resurgence of whether it's you know rosary devotions or Sacred Heart or adoration, but just sort of uh, maybe a greater appreciation for those things. I think the the year of Saint Francis helps that a little bit from that perspective so. too, right? I think so. And Saint Joseph as yeah. well. I know a, a lot of devotion to Saint Joseph has kind of prop, cropped up during this year as well. There was a lot, of, you know. It, it, I never thought. <laughs> What they are about St. Francis' prayer. Hey, what the Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. You know, we've got a, you're right. It kind of lost that tradition. And, and through this, you know, we have to bring up that damn coronavirus. It, it kind of put all of us into an awakening in our faith. I, I think there's a lot of devotional. Uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus is one of them. It is it's so profound. Uh, for centuries, mm-hmm. and we kind of died out. I think it's time to coming back. Uh, Saint Joseph, of course, definitely Saint Michael, uh, Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. It becomes so much novena. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I hear more people talk about committing to a novena in past year than ever. Yeah. You know, it was very very good with that. Yeah. So, yeah, and I almost wonder if it's if it's not like how mobile our culture was mm-hmm. um, to where. Like the stability within a parish, within families, to just like have these devotions that really developed for people, um, it was hard because people were always, you know, adjusting to a new town or a new job or whatever. Um, but then, whenever you're locked down for a year and don't really have anywhere to go, it, it gives you more time to kind of develop mm-hmm. that, uh, I guess, that prayer life, that sense of, you know, what really respond, what does my resounds in my life as something that really is important. And fruitful. No, I, mean, I think that's that could be said about the coronavirus in general, not just from from a Catholic perspective, religious perspective, but from from a family perspective too, right? Sure. I think you know families were forced to look at their lives differently, and that's no different from a from a physical, you know, relational point of view with your family to also a spiritual side of it. So, you know, uh, I started saying I hadn't done it. I started saying. A daily rosary and and that's new for me and it it's good for me i i i, I enjoy it I, I pray it in the car when i'm on the way to work uh don't listen to the radio anymore which is so i don't have to hear any news <laughs> which is which is a double blessing but it, it works out perfect whether i'm going to my office in lexington or whether i'm going up uh north to uh verona there's pl- plenty of time to get it done and, and I, I know you do uh while i'm going to fishing <laughs> The retired pull my ro- rosary down. <laughs> so, it, the this uh, this this devotion to the Sacred Heart is that something that's 
you know, specific because of where he's going? Is that why he picked that? Um, I think I think it was more uh, he had been wanting to do it, and he, uh, Father Damien just finished up the CPE program um, at UK Hospital, so kind of that intensive uh, clinical pastoral experience that has uh, is it, kind of a intensive introduction to hospital chaplaincy. And so for the past that's two and a half months or, or so, he's not really had any ability to <laughs> – put energy into anything oh, at, at the parish. Yeah. Um, so he's he's certainly helped out with the sacramental life and on the weekends and everything, but just he had a lot going on other than that. So I think part of it was, you know, wanting to do something like that before he left, and part of it, you know, there was a nice connection there. Yeah. I know when you came, the first the first thing you did was put two pieces of artwork up in our in our church. Yeah. Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart. Heart and, 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 uh, and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Our Lady of Guadalupe. So... They looked a lot better than what was up there, too, by the way. Nobody's <laughs> I can't Can you remember what was up there? Yeah, because it was the exact same thing that was up there. It's been 30 – how long have you been here? 30-something years? Seemed that way. Dog years. Dog Father, years. Father Will will be next. He's going to take it over. Oh, there you go. Here's his prediction. <laughs> Spirit has spoken within him. <laughs> so how many, how many priests right now are signed at the cathedral? So, Father Paul is there right now, yeah, but he's so getting Father, ready to retire, right? Yeah. So Father Paul is the current rector at the cathedral, and uh, and Father Damien Anumba, uh, he's uh, one of the missionary priests. He's uh, in the diocese with Father Lobo, Prantash Lobo, I believe is mm-hmm. how his first name is pronounced. And uh, and so they, they both came together, and they're going to both be assigned in eastern Kentucky together and actually kind of have a, a house together and st- live in community and then go out to their the two parishes. They're kind of... Next door parish. And where's that going to be again? Uh, Williamsburg and uh, Corbin. There's a connected mission with one of those, but I'm forgetting where. And then Father Father Mark was there too, right? Father Mark Umba? Yes. Yeah, so did, did I say that right? Umba? Umba. 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 No B. No B. No B. Umba. Umba. Um, yeah. Umba. And so, uh, so he actually left whenever I came. So he was... He was reassigned to uh, Jenkins, St. George's, um, starting October 1st of last year, and that was whenever I moved to the cathedral. So so there have been three of us um, this past year, or most of a year, and uh, starting on July 1st, there are just going to be two of us. So it'll be Father Moriarty and myself. And that's a retired priest going to stay with you, I think. Supposed to. There are still uh, plans that are still kind of shifting on. around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Um, well, let's face it. It's a nice rectory. Uh, it is a nice rectory, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, there's certainly plenty to do um, sacramentally, too. I mean, yeah. we have, you know, the two daily masses. So in order to take a day off and not have a scheduled mass on it, it's nice to have a, a second priest there. And then, I mean, if you have funerals and weddings and all that stuff, you know, it just adds to that. So, um yeah, so it'll be it'll uh, it'll be a a challenge to figure out all of that stuff, and it'll probably mean a lot less supply work for the uh, for the priests who are stationed there. Mm-hmm. But um, but but we also have extra retired priests then who uh, who can step in and fill some of those needs as well. Well, will Father Paul count as a retired priest then? He will he, is he going to stay? Is he going to yeah. stay there? Or is he going to one of the retired houses? He's, he's going to go to one of the retired retirement houses. Yeah. Good. He'll keep. He can keep uh, company with uh, Father Bob because right. Father Bob needs prayers, right? Yeah, yes, a lot of prayers. Mm-hmm. Prayer. You've never been assigned to the cathedral, have you? Thank God. 
<laughs> with you can't handle the cathedral or the cathedral can't handle you which one is it <laughs> mutual respect <laughs> <laughs> you got close though one time you were a mary queen for a little while that's close mary queen actually i was uh well on the list to go to the cathedral was <laughs> must have been a long list <laughs> I don't know. Let's be sure. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we don't see. You know, he's no, <laughs> please on your knees, Bishop. Don't send me there. Don't, don't send me to the cathedral. What, was it this sort of game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not it. No, it's good. Yeah, exactly. yeah, not it. No, it's good. Shotgun. Somebody called shotgun. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so, so, Father Will, let's talk a little bit just about your life. You grew, right. grew up in Clay County and. You know, as a Kentucky fan, the only thing I know about Clay County is it's the home of Richie Farmer. Right. Uh, but obviously, you, there's a lot more going on. And uh, I think uh, Manchester is the county seat there. Right. Is that right? Is, yeah. that, is that where you're from, Manchester itself? Or um, That's what our mailing address was. But I was actually from about 20 minutes outside of the city limits, um, if, if that's a legitimate that's a thing. expression. <laughs> um, yeah, so I grew up in Garrett. I grew up at the end of a holler, basically. Um, so, so we would always give people directions whenever the pavement turns to gravel, we're the first driveway on the right. You can't see the house. Just go up the hill and you'll find it. Does everybody here know what a holler is? Steve, you know what a holler is? All right. (laughs) Can you define what a holler is? Sure. So a holler is the local pronunciation of a hollow. So it's this, the space between two mountains that there's a Creek bottom there and a road goes up, but it only comes in from one direction. So there's an end to a holler. It's not a through. Holler. You holler. knew that though, right? I knew that. Holler. All fishermen knows about hollers. Fishermen and hunters. Hunters. hunters that usually hunt in hollers. Because <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you can get the vantage point in a holler, right? You that's can actually right. see the animals. And that's also your phone use. You holler right? <laughs> <laughs> when you grow up in the mountains. So were you a, were you a cradle Catholic? Was your family Catholic? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so obviously I don't sound like I'm from the hills of eastern Kentucky. That's not uh, – I don't really have the accent, but that's because my father is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and my mother is from Springfield, South Dakota. So obviously <laughs> I grew up in the hills of eastern Kentucky, right? Um, How did that happen? <laughs> that, that's a story. Uh, it is a story. So, um, so my father between – uh, college and graduate school decided he wanted to do some mission work. And at the time, St. Anne's was run by the Trinitarian missionaries. So they would put on like uh, young adult things and VBS programs and all that stuff for the community. And so I don't know how he got connected with that, but but um, he decided he wanted to do some uh, mission work with them. And uh, so he came down and I think he ended up spending, I think it was about, I think it was about a year and that that kind of made a connection um, with with that area. Um, he knew people. He liked it there. And uh, and then he went Cr- cradle Catholic. Cradle Catholic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. From a, a big family in uh, in Pittsburgh. And and then he went to graduate school um, for art. So he so he uh, was studying art. He graduated from Carnegie Mellon in uh, in uh, Pittsburgh. And then he went to Ohio University for graduate school, but. He wanted to do art, not teach art, and so kind of halfway through the program, he's like, "This isn't really focused on what I want to do," and so he's like, "They can give my scholarship to someone else." And he dropped out of graduate school. Um, that doesn't happen very often, does it? Yeah. When, especially when you're on scholarship. Yeah, I mean, but but you know, he wasn't really interested in just having the degree. He wanted to actually do something with it, um, and not not teach, but actually 
produce art. And so he actually came back, he went back to Clay County and, uh, and started working as like a handyman. He worked in a hardware store and still was very active in the, in the church there. And my mother kind of coming from the opposite direction was not uh, a Catholic. She had kind of found her faith, found a Christian faith in college and, um, decided that she was she was also going to do some mission work so she went to the redbird mission hospital um, as a nurse um, so uh, one week uh, one of the nurses who worked down there who was a catholic her car broke down and she asked my mom if she'd be willing to to drive her to church um, and so that's kind of how my mom and dad first met and then the same i believe it was the same friend invited um, my dad down to do some stuff with the with the nurses down in redbird and they kind of formed a connection, and the, the seven, rest. Seven weeks later, my dad proposed. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. But that was the priest's fault. He told my dad, "He's like, when are you going to propose?" And he's like, "I've only been dating for like six weeks." He's like, "But if I know you, you'll wait too long, and she'll be like, he's never going to propose, and just find somebody else." And my dad's like, "Well, I know she is the one." So, <laughs> who was the priest? You know, um. I believe it was Father Hugh, but I mean he was one of the Trinitarians, mm -hmm. right? Um, but I, but I might be wrong on that. Um, the 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 chronology of of priests before my birth is is a little shaky. <laughs> Heck, even the priests that I've had after my birth are a little shaky. Can you remember your original pastor at your uh, Father Stucker in Saint Simon and Jude in Louisville? Nice. I mean, I was at St. Edward in J-Town. I think it was Father Hamilton. The only reason I can remember that is because he got arrested one year for protesting, and I thought at an abortion clinic or something. I can't remember what it was. It was some, it was something social justice. It might have been death penalty related or whatever, but that's that's how I remember that too. So who was your uh, pastor growing up? Which one? The first one you remember. Well, the first one is Father Lee. Back in Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah. And then here would have been uh, Father. Monsignor Finn. Was it in Covington? Covington. How can you not remember the guy who lived there forty years? <laughs> <laughs> so, who was your first pastor at, in at the mission in there in uh, at Saint Anne? I think the first pastor I remember is was Father uh, Jerome Stern. Oh, the great Stern. That's right. Ooh. Yeah. Was he a Trinitarian too? No, he was a diocesan. Yeah, he's as tall as him. Taller? No, he was only six four. It's a good try. How tall are you? Six eight. <laughs> How tall are you? Well, I, I used to be six five, but I shrunk through the years. So uh. <laughs> six eight. Yeah. Well, so some so that just everybody always asks you, do, do you play basketball? Right. More of a miniature golf sort of guy. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't no. play ball. Uh, I, so being homeschooled, we never actually like participated in in organized sports. I would do I did some summer camps and that sort of thing, and I and I loved playing basketball growing up, and you know practiced all the time, convinced I was going to be an NBA player because I was so tall, and then I realized, oh, you're supposed to be able to jump to be part of the NBA, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not really my jam. <laughs> yeah. You had the same disease I had. I could not. Jump. <laughs> yeah. I could not jump. I can get all the way off the ground. Well, we have a clip here though of Dallas playing. Hit it! <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't listened to the show before, just because we're talking about basketball, we'll turn this up. Let's see what happens here. Let's see if I can do this. Twenty-four seconds left to play. 
They trail by one, 83-82, Dallas Kelly, right-hand corner, back outside of Mark Linton, out of Darryl Beal. On the baseline of Lee Gales, drives, puts it up, hits the side of the board, Scott's got it. Flips it over his shoulder, Gales gets it, down to Kelly, and tips it in! Dallas Kelly! Dallas Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> tips okay. it in with seven. <laughs> That's the best part, Dallas Kelly. Nice. So, so. Say, I always say that was back when I could put my arms over my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Y'all got something in common. You, you grew up in a town that produced one of the best basketball players in the, in the state of Kentucky, Richie Farmer. I still think so. And you played basketball. So there you go. Y'all got something in common there. And you're both tall, 6'8". I still can't get over that, 6'8". Well, so get so <laughs> his vestments won't fit you. Depends on his vestments. You may want to bring your own. <laughs> bring your own <laughs> out for sure. I, I, I always do. <laughs> well, he's not bad compared to Father Rambler. Mike Rambler? Yeah, he's taller. 6'11". His license plate? Yes, 6'11". <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. I was help. 6'10". <laughs> it's was, important to know this. I was right? with him. But at my ordination. Good shepherd. Oh, God. At my ordination. Whenever it was like the fraternal kiss of peace, whenever you were actually still allowed to like touch each other and stuff, um, he he told me that he was passing on the mantle of high priest of the diocese. <laughs> well, when you were ordained a deacon, I remember saying, "I am no longer the tallest deacon in our diocese." <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's right. Wow. So, so you got your own album that you'll bring, and maybe our vestments will work, look okay here because you're coming to. To visit with us, right? That's right. Uh, the 16th. 16th. Two Sundays yeah. from now. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a lot of stuff going on here. We got. And you're five. preaching, right? We got it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I haven't prepared it yet, but yes. In Italian. Italian. <laughs> I thought you said Spanish. Well, you got well, both. Oh, it worked out perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've we've had lots of we've had lots of languages in this parish. We even had French for a while because we had Father. Um, Dag on it. He went. He left. Uh, uh, oh, Derek. Derek Van Dedeker. He was here for a while. A little French, Vietnamese, Spanish. Van Decker isn't particularly French. That sounds more like I don't know. Well, he's German, but he was joined the religious community. Yeah, he's but he spoke French fluently. Yeah, he was yeah. fluent in yeah. French. Yeah. That's why he's trained. And I could speak. How, how many languages are you fluent in? Fluent, one. <laughs> I, but I Which have one's high, that? I, I have, <laughs> Kentucky. <and Indians. laughs> um, um, but uh, I understand Italian well, well enough. I mean, like most of my education was in Italian uh, over in Rome. Like four out of the five years, it was basically. So you just had time. to learn it. So that was your immersion. Yeah, I mean, I, I had uh, six weeks of immersion. Well, more than that. I had six weeks of immersion and then uh, another four weeks of classes prior to going to school in Italian. Um, but but that's not the same as actually just like trying to follow a professor who's just talking in Italian. It was always great whenever we had an American professor who was speaking in Italian because it meant that he was speaking English in Italian. And so like the sentence structure made perfect sense to all the Americans <laughs> and all the Italians were like, he speaks Italian really weird. <laughs> I, I guess that's something that, that as an American, we don't realize that when you go to school in Rome, all the classes are in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> they're not in English. Yeah. I mean, they, they can be, right? Like there, there are kind of three universities that the Americans attend for uh, the STB pro program. And two of them are in Italian and one of them is in English. 
so at the Angelicum, the degree is actually uh, you can you can they have an English track and a and a uh, Italian track, so you can go and spend you know five years in Italy and never take a class in Italian, and some do. But you're uh, still going to get the language, though, right? Depends on you. You you can totally not, um, but it's kind of a shame to do it that way. And and you're obviously going to say mass in Spanish for us. So sure. So yeah. did you? Did you have an immersion experience with Spanish as well then? Yeah. So so part of the reason my Italian is so poor is because I did four years of schooling in Italian and then did a two-month immersion right after my ordination in Spanish and then transferred universities to an English-speaking university. So I never really got my Italian back to where I actually separated out my Spanish and Italian. In other words, he's screw. <laughs> well, no. I mean, Spanish is the language I'm actually going to be using more in the diocese, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I so, mean, there's not a whole lot of masses going on in Italian here. Not not many. <laughs> <laughs> are there any? Really? There probably aren't, are there? Not to my, I, I've never not heard. My knowledge. No. I mean, you basically have to bring your own missile. I, I could do it, right? Like I could I could celebrate Mass in Italian and understand every word I was reading and I could probably I don't I I could Google Translate a, a homily and make it happen, but it wouldn't be great. Google Translate. That's what we need to try. So the key is you have, you have to, you you have to be me? good enough at the language. <laughs> Begin with you. In order oh, you to, have to know something about the language. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so I mean, we're, like, we're I, screwed. I, <laughs> it's I, not happening. I use Google Translate for my Spanish homilies, but then I reread it and I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. And then I fix it, right? So it's kind of, a, it, it's kind of the first go through and then you have to, you have to know what makes you, – you have to know the words well and the sentence structure well enough to make sense of it. So – I'm just curious. How does how does a a kid get from Clay County <laughs> to oh. Rome? I mean, how does how does the bishop make a decision that you know, hey, we're going to send this guy to Rome? Because obviously, not every priest goes to Rome, right? One in maybe ten or twenty. What's the what's the ratio? You think? It depends a lot on the diocese. Honestly, like some dioceses really prioritize it, and most of their seminarians, if not all of them, go to Rome. Others never send seminarians, right? And and Lexington's uh, on closer to the end of none of never. Them. Yeah, so I think we've had three guys that were sent to Rome. Two of them have uh, survived to ordination. Well, Rome always expecting uh, diocese sent. When I was uh, after ordination. Under Bishop Ken, and he wanted me sent to Rome. I said, "What the hell go to Rome for?" <laughs> Actually, was I don't speak Italian. I speak Vietnamese. <laughs> exactly. So he wanted me to study canon law. All right, and I say, "What the hell do canon law? You want me sent me? Let me study liturgy." So he wanted me sent to a Saint Angelicum, and I say, "No, I have a program here in Chicago. I want to go to that one." He said, "But you need to go to Rome." Like, I don't want to go to Rome. I don't want to go to Rome. I say, I'm ministry to people in America. Then I studied liturgy in America. Yeah. So he fought. So I, that's why I went and studied liturgical study in Chicago. Oh, nice. <laughs> Very good. So you studied s- sacred theology, which is – explain that to us. What, how is that different from just theology? Yeah. theology. Yeah. Yeah, so so um, is that just terminology or – in part, right? So the uh, part of it is the fact that you're studying in a different country, so the academic system is different. And, and so 
So the the USCCB requires four years of graduate level theology prior to ordination, um, because like an MDiv program um, is a four year program, which is what you got, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Um, and then, but the problem is in Italy, that's a three year program, but it's it does, and the reason it's a three year program is because the focus is on like the theology side much more strictly, so it's a lot more like dogmatic theology, um, church history, like very much academic courses. So you would never have a course like preaching or how to celebrate the sacraments, like those kind of practical applications of it. So that's interesting. Uh, well, it's because that's the degree it's, it's an academic degree, right? Rather than a practical degree. Um, and so, and, and that's not to say like a MDiv wouldn't have, those those academic parts in right but it's it it's just kind of the focus is different sure so so not everyone in my in my classes over there would be would be priests right a lot of them were religious sisters or lay students who were kind of getting a theology degree that would be much more focused on things like teaching um, rather than kind of (laughs) being able to preach and teach within a parish context yeah because if you're getting a theology degree and you're not religious you're teaching (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, not always. Like we had a uh, we had a uh, lawyer from Rome who's just like I want to know more about my faith. And so he enrolled as a student at the Gregorian and was there for all of our classes and just, you know, learning theology. Must have had some spare time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wasn't a very a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> just just cut out the reposos and the gelada jadas and all that, you know. <laughs> so, so you you spent how many years in Rome then? Yeah, so almost five. It would have been, wow. it would have been five academic years if uh, the COVID hadn't hit. Um, so that's right. That all happened right at the yeah. the end for you because you had, you had come back in 2019. We were talking about this before we went on online yeah. for ordination. We we were both there, right? And that was really probably the last normal ordination. Yeah. At the end of 2019 or June of 2019. Yeah. And then COVID hits and you're in Rome finishing up. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess January, um, is whenever, you know, people start talking about the coronavirus and like, oh, you know, it's, you know, have you heard about the coronavirus? Yeah. Whatever. And then, then it, uh, kind of the, the major, I guess the first major European spot was in Northern Italy. Right. And right. so that became, much more topic of conversation. So, so we got, we got sick of talking about it before anyone else did. Um, but then. It's almost like ground zero. I mean, outside of Wuhan and, yeah. and, and China, you know, Italy was in the news a lot. It was, it was right. And, but it was mostly Northern Italy. So outside of uh, uh, Turin um, was kind of the, the hot spot there. And partially because they have, it's a fairly industrial area and they have a fair, fair number of, factories that have a lot of Chinese immigrants working in them. So there was a lot of back and forth, particularly from that area of China, which kind of brought, um, brought a lot of that. Carriers, a lot of carriers. Yeah. And Italy also has a, has a difficulty in the sense that it's a very old population. Um, their birth rate, not particularly high. So it's, it's an aged population and, uh, it's much more of a smoking culture. So the, you know, for lung diseases, that's, that's not good. And it's very much a public transportation culture as well. So, but they've got good food and good wine. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but it it made it that much harder um, for, 
for the spread of the, of the coronavirus. So you're scheduled to, you were scheduled to finish up June, June of that year, but mm-hmm. so COVID's blowing up. Yes. You're, you're, March rolls around and you're probably thinking, uh oh. Yeah. So, well, it, it was more like February. Okay. February, February was whenever um, we kind of like got all of the, you know, school can't be in person anymore. Like, try to figure this out. So then we, so we had a week where basically just nothing happened. It's like, everybody go home. We're not having class. Maybe this will pass quick. And, uh, and then they had to figure it out. So I probably, it was probably two or three weeks of online classes and it just kept, you know, getting worse and worse and more intense and more global and all of that. And so I guess it was mid March. Um, and, and so right at the beginning, it was basically, you know, don't avoid large gatherings. And then it was, it got strict enough that it was like, you can really only go out into the city if you're like buying food or whatever, but you have to have a paper saying, this is why you're out. And it has to be signed by, you know, someone. Um, so it was, yeah, it was pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, that. that sounds crazy. I, I, re- I was going back through some of my social media posts and I actually remember saying something like my over under on the weeks for the coronavirus was like six. I thought six weeks, you know, we'll be back to somewhat normal. Wrong. A <laughs> hundred and six weeks. I, I we bet the over. <laughs> yeah. So when does the decision get made that you got to get out of town? Um, well, so uh, there was one day, I think it was like the maybe the 19th of March or the 20th of March, where the U.S. State Department basically sent out a recall order. Um, and I had been in communication with Bishop Stowe prior to that, basically saying, you know, I still feel pretty safe. Like we haven't had any cases in the house. Rome's really not that hot of a spot right now. Um, we're just sort of continuing on and it seems pretty legitimate. But um, then the U.S. State Department basically put out uh, an advisory that um, people who are overseas should come home now or prepare to shelter in place. Yeah, because getting back was was fixing to get very difficult yeah because they were they were starting to cancel a lot of the international flights and put a lot more restrictions on those and uh and so i had had a few friends who before that had kind of been like "Eh, if we're doing virtual class i'm going i'm going back to the states until this blows over i'd rather be there anyway um but there was a good core of us who were sort of like ah we'll stay you know you know what what's the what what are we waiting for what's the standard um by which we're going to try to judge this like does it have to be this number of cases is it this level of restrictions you know that kind of thing is it (laughs) we're going to finish the semester virtually and so there's no point in staying here or is it the only way i'm getting home is on a state department flight (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. i mean Um, because it eventually that's what what happened i mean maybe not for you but for in general in a lot of places that's how people got home yeah um so i actually went to bed the night that the uh the night that that issue or that that uh, directive was sent out before I heard it, so I woke up the next morning. There were people in the hall talking about, you know, oh, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to look into flights? And it's like these were all the people who had been like, no, I'm going to stay here. It's going to be fine, you know. So, <laughs> so you knew it was getting real now. Like, all right, well, <laughs> well, my and my standard was if if the U.S. government because one of the things we followed as far as like 
terrorist, you know, terrorist levels for traveling internationally in Europe. It's like you look to the State Department and say, you know, what 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 is their advisory, right? Like if it's a uh, Americans probably shouldn't go there, you probably should have a good reason to go. Um, and if it's just to see the country, it probably isn't a good enough reason. Um, so I kind of decide, you know, if the State Department says go home, that's that's good enough for me. And so that was that was my standard. And so. But the difficulty is, like, whenever I wake up, you know, at 7 or 8 o'clock, Italy time, that means it's, like, 2 a.m. U.S. time. Or I, I think it was 1 a.m. because we were in daylight savings and the U.S. wasn't yet. So so it's like I can't make this decision just autonomously. I need to talk to the bishop. So looking at all the options and figuring that out. And so basically as soon as I had some probably about 6 a.m. this time, which is about noon over there, you know, sent an, sent an email and said like, hey, I really need to talk because of the State Department stuff. Um, I think it's time to come home. And so uh, we talked probably about maybe two in the afternoon. Um, and and Bishop Stowe was like, yeah, I think, I think it's time. Did he send the corporate jet for you? <laughs> <laughs> it was in the shop. <laughs> yeah. It was it was in repa- under just, repair, just like the crystal ball. You know? <laughs> it's always in the shop. Um, and so, so like two p.m., I got the go ahead. Six p.m., I ordered my tickets, and uh, nine a.m., my flight left the next morning. So you packed everything up. Yeah, I got two hours of sleep that night. And you haven't been back since. Nope. Nope. Yeah, it it was pretty intense. Fortunately, I had been kind of working um, my travel to bring stuff home every time and bring back empty suitcases. So I had so I came and visited my fa- family uh, for ordination. I brought back a fair amount of stuff, and then I came and visited around Christmas and brought back a fair amount of stuff. So I was basically going to have an extra two suitcases to check. Um, whenever I came back, but I wasn't going to have to ship anything. So I was able to leave a couple of boxes in the middle of my floor. I think I had three boxes maybe, and just everything was in a box and ready to be shipped out. But I was able to take everything else with me. And so it helped that I had already kind of stripped down a lot of my yeah, before, so before kind of like I a had to flee the country. Emergency evacuation. Yeah. Sounds kind of scary, you know, don't you think? No, because his case is different than mine. There's no bomb shooting at <laughs> well, We're talking about a global pandemic, not a not a communist revolution. <laughs> there, there are some subtle differences between the two, Father. Just just small. Yeah. So you you get back home, you finish up your schoolwork. You're still looking towards ordination, and and I guess the realization's hitting you that this is not going to be a regular ordination. Well, so it actually. So I was already a priest at that time. Right, so oh, okay. so That's 2019 right. yeah. um, was my ordination. That's right. So, so I guess going back to the to the degrees, right? The, so part of the problem is we're still bound by the USCCB, even though the degrees don't match up, right? So. Um, all of the stuff that's not part of the degree I still need, right? Like I still need to learn how to preach. I still need to learn how to celebrate the sacraments. So that takes, so that kind of becomes. (laughs) What do you need that for? (laughs) Some people say it's important, but you know. (laughs) know, Some people would say that there's some deacons and priests out there that don't know how to preach still, right? (laughs) Some. 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 
<laughs> some Wait, pe- some would say or some don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we hear that all the time, don't we? Well, I should say we hear that people don't like what we preach about. Oh, so no. that happens. So, so I get to enter into that group. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bring your A game. So that's a different, different when people oppose to what we preach. Well, people, that those do not know how to preach. That's true. That, very, that's very, true. very true. I, I agree with that. And, and people it, always love the visiting priest because they're like, he can just say yes to whatever and it doesn't matter. And if I don't like him, well, whatever. He's that's gone, true. He's gone next week. <laughs> it's it, That's true. And, until you come back as part of an assignment, apparently. So down the road. So, so you had to learn how to did you had to learn how to preach and how to to do your uh, what what's the right word for that? Were you practicum? Practicum, practicum. yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that that was all part of like the formation that happened at the seminary. Then, so rather than it being part of the classwork, it was sort of like our Thursday evenings. We always, you know, maybe it, it could have been like pastoral counseling. So we basically had much like. Uh, much like St. Minard has like their J term, we had like a summer term. So we would get back four weeks before school would start. So basically on the same schedule as the the people going to classes here cause the, because the uh, European school year is shifted back. So it starts like in October, October 1st and goes through June as opposed to like September 1st through May. Um <laughs> Which makes it really awkward because your your Christmas vacation is right before finals, which is a pain. Bad idea. I don't know. I don't know who came up with that. <laughs> That's not a problem anymore for you. Thankfully, no. <laughs> thankfully no. Um, we we got any questions on Facebook no. there, Dallas? Nothing? No, we do not. Nothing. What about you? You're on your phone there too. You getting? You get some. We text do have there. one comment. One comment. Uh, we love your sermons. You all do a great job. Thanks, I don't mom. know if she was talking to <laughs> Thanks, you, mom, <laughs> or any one of us. <laughs> Thanks, mom. That's a good one. Thanks, mom. Usually, that would be Steve's mom that would comment about those kind of things. So she's she's a long time listener as well. So, um, so you you get you eventually get all that stuff. You go to Lawrenceburg, right? Uh, Harrisburg, Harrisburg. Yeah. yeah. So, so basically, the timeline was then. So after ordination, I was halfway through a two-year degree. So I finished a three-year degree, and then I have to have an extra year of theology in order to fulfill what the expectation of the bishops is. So a lot of people will just do a license program because it's only one extra year, and then you have a degree that you can actually teach with. So, like, I could teach at the university level, basically with the STL degree the sacred theology licentiate. Um, but it's, it's, it's roughly the equivalent of a master's degree. Um, it's somewhere in between a master's degree and a doctorate. It's not a terminal degree like a doctorate is, but it requires most of the classwork that a doctorate in the U.S. would. So, but not nearly as much writing and research. I think it's enough. <laughs> right? I mean, don't so, you think so it's enough? More than enough. We do not get the STD. That's been even bigger. Mm-hmm. Oh, we. The, what do people not understand? The Catholic Church. It's all about the we education. Take education. We take it very seriously. None of this half ass stuff. And people just forget. <laughs> like, this guy came out, he is like full rank. Well, he's like super educated. Yeah, super educated. <laughs> <laughs> hey, from the holla. <laughs> from the holla? Nah, don't be <laughs> Hey, I know I'm I'm fr- I'm from Louisville, but I I lived in a rural part of Louisville. <laughs> so why why you pursue moral theology? Yeah, 
Um, <laughs> good question. I didn't. Um, so what happened was, what it was was um, <laughs> the uh, so I started so after finishing um, after finishing the the general theology degree, right? I had to find another degree to do in two years and at least for at least one year, but kind of depending on what the diocese needs were and the bishop's desire. It could have been one. It could be actually finishing the degree. Both both are fairly common, uh, just sort of depending on the diocese and the and the individual. So uh, I talked with the bishop, and basically he asked, you know, what are you interested in? Like, what do you want to study? Because it's hard to really pour yourself into higher studies if you don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So um, so kind of my top my top two were scripture and uh, marriage and family. And so, um, and, and kind of the one I really wanted to do was marriage and family. So I actually, so I did my first year at the John Paul II Institute for marriage and family, um, which was another Italian university and really kind of that emphasis on, and, and it incorporated a lot of moral theology, right? Like it, if you had to assign it to, to one of those degrees, it probably would have been moral theology, but it, it had, it was a very broad program, like instead of. I guess instead of having a really deep knowledge of a of a particular area, like a lot of degrees were focused in, it much more was trying to bring in everything that pertained and helped to understand. So I had degrees in psychology, I had degrees, you know, in sacramental theology, I had de- or sorry, not degrees, classes, um, you know, the sacramental theology, um, count, like pastoral theology, like a lot of a lot of philosophy and, mm-hmm. you know, both philosophy and theology. It was, it was a pretty philosophy heavy program, right? And partially because that's kind of a reflection of John Paul II's thought, um, kind of bringing in a lot of those different areas um, to, to bear on, on marriage and family. Um, but in, right after, so that was the year leading up to my ordination. And then I was ordained and, and went down to Guatemala for a uh, Spanish immersion. And while I was there, the there were some major changes to to the program, the faculty, and the institution as a whole. Right, so it was something like three quarters of the faculty turned over at the John Paul II Institute over the course of a summer. That's always what a student wants to hear. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> all your professors are gone. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, so, Hello. Yeah, and and, uh, and just it kind of what was required for the degree was rewritten to the point where it wasn't entirely clear whether or not like the statement was you you can finish under the old program but the requirements of the new program indicated that unless they made an exception you couldn't actually fulfill those requirements because of how many how many credits you needed via seminars and how many seminars you were actually allowed that, to take. That would be horrible. Yeah. So, so, uh, I mean, all of the, all of the universities in Rome kind of saw what was happening and, uh, and a couple of them responded that they'd be willing to take basically all of our credits. So I had one classmate who was from the North American college and both of us were kind of interested in, in sw- switching over into different programs. Um, and so, uh, one of us went to Santa Croce and I went, to, so he went to Santa Croce um, and I went to uh, the Angelicum and both of, both of those universities were great and basically just accepted all of our credits and 
kind of set up a path for us to finish a degree in moral theology. So it's it was slightly broader, but since most of our classes kind of pertained to moral theology um, in some way, um, they were able to count a lot of those more so than mm. another discipline would have. Do you? That, uh, who else? Does Father Steve have a moral theology he too? Has, he has a bioethics. Yeah, so he, bioethics, he, okay. he actually did a lot of work on a, a bioethics degree from Regina Apostolorum, I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because of his medical background, exactly. right? Yeah. Right, and, and that's kind of an interesting degree in that normally bioethics would fit under moral theology as well, but Regina Apostolorum uh, actually developed a degree that was specifically bioethics, so a much more focused degree. Okay. So instead of just being an STL in moral theology, it's I think it's a, a BIOL or mm-hmm. something like that, a bioethics licentiate. Well, the church has a, has the these degrees all have their own acronyms, man. You know, we have the we have good ones. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you gotta you gotta well, have your best. game together. <laughs> you gotta have your game together to know what all these degrees are. I know. Yeah. So you get to work with uh, Mr. Mike Allen a lot, then, huh? I, I've done some work with him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Father Father Steve was ready to uh, to let the uh, his advisory capacity on the NFP board um, go to somebody else, and he recommended me. So I've I've done some work with them, and uh, and certainly with learning how to do marriage prep. Um, and Mike is very, very involved with that stuff. So he's, um, Oh, Mike loves it. Yeah. It's, it's that's his thing for sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you would be great addition to our diocese. Definitely. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, absolutely. We had a question come in. Um, I heard father Willer did a great job on a talk about human sexuality at the cathedral. Is there any way I can listen to it again? It was it recorded or? Yeah, so, I think so. Yeah. yeah, so that was on Tuesday, and and basically what we're doing with th- with that talk is I have I have kind of the unedited version, so I'm going through and seeing if I put my foot in my mouth and if I need to <laughs> write retractions or put in like a slide to explain what I was trying to say, and then try to put up some of uh, the references to things I was I was doing. So I'm kind of going through it right now, and hopefully that'll be posted by the beginning of next week, um, kind of on on the on the Christ the King That's YouTube awesome. channel. We never. We never had it like that, do we? We just we just take it all. I mean, this guy never sticks his foot in his mouth. We ever. <laughs> ever. We stuck in it, eat it. <laughs> we have a we we do have a good time, right? Yeah. I mean it's Well, I mean it it is a it is a it's contentious enough and and difficult enough, right? Like I don't want to I don't want to leave I'm okay with people realizing that I make a fool of myself at times, but I don't want to leave them with the wrong understanding right. of what I was trying no, it's to a, say. No, it's an intense topic. And, and let's face it, if if all Catholics believed what the church taught about moral theology, natural family planning, human, marriage, human sexuality, human sexuality yeah. the world would be a lot better place. It would. You yeah. know, the break, I mean, I, I still contend that most of every issue that we're dealing with as a country right now is the result of the breakdown of the family completely across the board. I mean, that was honestly one of the biggest reasons for why I wanted to study marriage and family, right? Because I see that as, as one of the central issues um, in society today, right? Is how to act. And, and it's difficult to, to not have seen a good functional loving family and try to build one of your own. Uh, I, and that's one of the reasons, good segue, because we're, we're starting a marriage ministry here at uh, at St. Francis and John. Just I think we've got a meeting here in a week or so, uh, another one. So 
No, it's make uh, a notation. So yeah, no, I, that's a that's that's great. You you can come out and talk to our, to our group. It's just really starting up. Uh, the Conklins, Barbara and Eric are kind of the the chairpersons. I guess we're like you appointed us like the chaplains or something of that group or something. <laughs> so we may sub that out to to you, Father Wheeler. So you can come talk to us. So what's kind of the uh, I guess the mission of the marriage ministry is it is it to get couples together to, for mutual support and edification? It, there's a social element to it, sure. but there's also an education element to it too. Okay. Uh, absolutely, you know, to really kind of reinforce what the church teaches and the importance of that, but also know that you know the success of the family unit has to have some social element to it, right? Sure. And, and I think it's a combination of the two of those. You, you want to add yeah, to but, that? Yeah, but I think the piece that when I talk to the the Conklin is the level of understanding of it. I, I think the level that you can contribute to a lot is understand. What is marriage? You know, for us as priests, you know, like it or not, we be understand what this priesthood is before we be in a priest. Sure. Marriage, you got six months, most of the time, six months plan for the wedding gown <laughs> instead of understand the whole theological behind it. You know, my island did a great job as a diocese. I think we give them a lot of credence. But the, the casting support as time go on, I think— yeah couple needs that that intellectual level i think we've extremely intellectual culture right no i mean you know we we, one of the things we talked about from the marriage perspective is that you know in today's in today's culture you know global culture secular culture there's this view of 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 marriage and there's this view of life that's kind of taken through the lens of social media or uh an unrealistic view of really what's going on in people's marriages, even ones that, that from the surface look successful, sure. right? You only see the good things that are posted on Facebook. Facebook, So you think, hey, marriage has to be perfect. Yeah. There's no there's no friction in a marriage. It, there, it, it's always just beautiful. Yeah. But that's that's unrealistic, right? Yeah. And, and honestly, I think that's a big part of, of how much mental health difficulties we have right Mm -hmm. because there's that expectation that everyone else is doing great why is my life in shambles instead of realizing that if you actually got to know people and and we had real community there you would realize that other people share those struggles and there was support out there right like you could support each other in those struggles whereas if if our lens for understanding people is just like I want to. I want to make it look like my life is great, right? So here's here's a picture of me smiling, and here's a picture of my family on vacation, and we're all laughing and having a good time because we saw the camera was out. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but on the drive down to the beach, we were ready to kill each other. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that never happens though. <laughs> Every day it happens. Every day. Hey, Father Wheeler, thanks for for coming in. Can you believe we've been already talking for an hour? Can you believe that? It's a gift. So we're gonna we're gonna take a small break here. We're gonna do uh, saint of the day, and then we're gonna come back and 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 wrap things up. You ready, Steve? Over there. Okay, here we go. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for May seventh. Today we celebrate Blessed Rose Venerini. Our plans are not always God's plans. That certainly was the case for Rose Venerini, born in Italy in sixteen fifty six. She saw her future in marriage. Following the unexpected death of her fiancé, she entered a convent. After only a few months, it became necessary for her to return home 
to care for her newly widowed mother. Meanwhile, Rose found a way to nourish herself and others spiritually at home. She invited women of the neighborhood to recite the rosary with her. A spiritual bond developed among them. Over time, Rose heard the call to become a teacher in the world rather than return to the convent. She proved to be a born teacher. The free school for girls she opened in 1685 was a success. As her reputation grew, she was called to help train teachers and to organize more schools in many parts of Italy, including Rome. Following her death in Rome in 1728, a number of miracles were attributed to her. Rose Venerini was beatified in 1952. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Saint Rose. Well, while we were listening to that, apparently we were looking at the weather for Sunday. Yes. Now, they're talking Sunday gust. I heard 35, 40 miles an hour, but when exactly that's going to be here? That won't happen when you're here, Father David Wheeler. We will make the, sure. It is the extended forecast. The extended forecast <laughs> is sunny and 75 and no wind. Just keep your homily. Just have two versions of your homily. The great weather homily can be, you know, as long as you want it to be, as long as it's less than 12 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if Anything. it's. If it's if it's twelve degrees outside, raining or what's the what's the coldest we had mass this year? Anybody remember? Three degrees. Was it three degrees? At e- uh, Christmas. Christmas Eve. Yeah, it was cold. Short homily when it's cold. Not for us. We're the snow was going left to right. Yeah. <laughs> Steve was out there. How was it, Steve? It was cold, wasn't it? It was very, very, very cold. But it was it was very picturesque. You know, Christmas Eve, the snow blowing. It's like a snow globe. Exactly. I can't wait to do it again this year. Someone just got no. No. Hopefully, we'll be back in, uh, back in the church by then. So, Father Weir, thanks for coming. We're gonna have you back. You know, we're one. We're gonna have you back for mass, but uh, you know, as part of this marriage ministry, I think it's a good idea. Have, oh, have, have him back, and uh, you know, I tell all these. You guys are still on the honeymoon, right? You've only been ordained a couple of years, so you're still on the honeymoon. But we want to have you back when you get off the honeymoon, see if you're still smiling. So, that's <laughs> no, good. You yeah. Know, anytime I can come and talk to, about myself is a good time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks. Next show is May 21st. We may do some recorded shows here in the future. We're working on some things with. Uh, Deacon Gary Ruda Miller from last uh, last show, just trying to get some guests and things. Uh, I think we should have Father Mark mm-hmm. on, Mark Bentley, sure. ordained same time you were, right? Yeah, uh, Father Aldrin Father would be a good one. Father Steve Roberts would be a good one too. We haven't we haven't had him on the show. Uh, so, uh, if you have uh, suggestions for spoilers. potential spoilers, spoilers, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. We had him out here for a show somewhere. Oh, it was over at uh, the Mexican restaurant. He came out and did a talk. That's been a while ago, though. Oh. Father Steve? Father Steve. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably when he was here, right? Because he, yeah, he, he was assigned here for mm-hmm. a couple of years. So nice. he was your helper because <laughs> you only need help help sporadically. But, hey, if you got suggestions for guests, we want to know. Same with you, Father Wheeler. If you have somebody you think would be a good guest, whether it's a person that has an expertise in a topic or whether they're just a person that we should know, right? So for you, we should know you because you're one of the newest priests in the diocese. So let us know. Uh, 
Also, we ask you to go to ssfj.org, ssfj.org. That's how you can support our ministries here. Uh, you know, you can give to just about everything that we do online. And we need your support. That's how the Catholic Church works. So, y'all got anything else? That's it for me. Father Wheeler, could you give us your blessing before to close the show out? Certainly. The Lord be with you. And, and with, with your, your spirit. spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, until the next show in two weeks, I'm Deacon Tim. I'm Deacon Dallas. I'm Father Lingwin. I'm Father David Wheeler. Go in peace. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Did you ever stop and think? I spend too much time just getting ready Let me be honest I don't know a single thing That I haven't done to make you notice me Let me be real here When I see you my heart starts racing But I don't know if I like this chasing And playing 